Welcome to episode 178. Today, we learn about serving MLs through the IB's Middle Years Program. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. I'm so excited and honored to introduce Dr. Kendra Katnit to the podcast. Dr. Kendra, can you welcome to the podcast and can you please tell us briefly how you spend your days, where you spend your days and your proudest professional achievement? Thank you, Tan. Um, I'm so honored and thrilled to be here and to speak with you today. Um, my name is Kendra Katnick, and currently I work from home in Michigan in the United States, um, and I spend my days developing professional learning for teachers of multilingual learners. I'm currently working on a project building micro-credential options for teachers through e-learning experiences, um, and this job allows me to really be creative and work in my area of passion, which is advocating for equitable opportunities for multilingual learners. So I began my career in the classroom and really quickly realized that I needed to learn more skills and strategies to meet the needs um, of this growing population of students. And that sort of led me down this path that eventually resulted in me um, getting my doctorate of education and educational leadership and really building my career around multilingual learner education. And I think my proudest achievement is the impact that I can have on so many students by empowering their teachers um, to really meet the needs um, of diverse students in their classrooms. So you um, touched on a really wonderful core theme of this podcast is equity for multilingual learners. And so, so you use the um, academia route to figure out what can I do to support kids? You looked at research, um, which we'll talk about, and that's the equity piece here. That's right. Can you tell us a story that has really influenced your practice to this day? Absolutely. I think as teachers, we have so many of these stories, right? When that really comes to mind, um, when I was teaching middle school newcomer English as a second language, my class, I had about maybe eight to 10 learners in this just small community classroom. Um, and we read the novel Refugee by Alan Gratz. It's so good. <laughs> so the, the story follows um, the journeys of three children, like their different time periods. Joseph, who is escaping Nazi Germany. Isabel, who is a Cuban girl um, who's leaving Cuba in the 1990s. And then Mahmoud, who is a Syrian refugee in the year 2015. And at this time, I had students in my classroom from all of these countries, um, including a refugee from Syria. And reading this novel together just really sparked so many authentic conversations about my students' immigrant experiences. Um, my one student shared with our class how she too had to walk all the way across Syria to reach Turkey um, and just tell her classmates about that experience. Um, so later that year, we actually had this great opportunity in my school that the author, Alan Gratz, visited our school. And we had a little luncheon for the stu some, some students to be able to talk with him and have this conversation. And toward the end of this discussion, my student raised her hand. And she just said, kind of a quiet voice, she said to him, I just wanted to tell you that Mahmoud's story 
is my story. Oh, and it just gives me chills still to, to talk about it because it was such a powerful moment that I will never forget. And I think that it's really a powerful example of how representation is so important for our students to see themselves in our curriculum um, and for us as teachers to empower our students to share their stories and their voices so that they can recognize the impact that that can have and that their stories are important. Yeah, representation is so much more than uh, checking off a diversity check mark, but it's really saying like you matter, you matter so much that you should be part of the curriculum and you could use yes. your experience to further your education as well. Right, and we want to hear your voice and we want to hear how you're making connections to the curriculum. So let's talk about your dissertation. Um, you got your re uh, PhD because of this dissertation. What was the seed for your research? It's a great question. So when it came time in my doctoral journey to start my dissertation work, um, I was working as the English Language Development Program Coordinator in a school district that had an international baccalaureate program. Um, and so the more I learned about that program, the more curious I became about the experience specifically of our multilingual learners in that program. So for your listeners who maybe are not familiar with the IB, I can provide just a little bit of background. So the International Baccalaureate is an international organization, and they're a nonprofit that supports schools and governments all around the world um, to develop these international programs of education. So IB is kind of known as being a rigorous academic program um, that's focused on global education, and there's different programs for different age groups. So there's a primary years program, a middle years program, um, and then the diploma program for high school students. And there's a few major components of an IB education that includes um, a focus on international mindedness, something called the IB learner profile, which is this list of attributes that really highlight learner dispositions, things like we are risk takers, we are inquirers, we are knowledgeable, um, and we're caring. And um, there's also this really connected kind of cross-disciplinary curriculum. And then there's the IB approaches to teaching and learning, which are focused on teacher-student relationships um, and this cycle of like inquiry, action, and reflection. It really places students at the center of the learning experience. And there's also a strong focus on fostering multilingualism in the IB education. So that overall, the IB philosophy is very inclusive. It's assets focused and it positions diverse students as active participants in their education. So this sounds ideal for our multilingual learners, right? Like there's so much overlap with what the IB philosophy is and what we know about best practices for working with culturally and linguistically responsive students. But at the same time, there's research that shows that English learners are often excluded from these rigorous programs of study. Um, and also that these explicit language ideologies that are written in policies don't always match the real experiences of students and the messages that they receive about their home languages, their cultures, and their backgrounds. So although the IB acknowledges that the majority of its students have complex multilingual backgrounds, English only is the main medium of instruction in most IB schools around the world. And there's really not a lot of research on the actual experiences 
of diverse students in these programs. So this led me to want to know more about these actual experiences um, about students. So I wanted to explore the experience of English learners, specifically in the IB Middle Years program or the IB MYP. Um, and that was because in my school district, our middle school had school-wide implementation of this program. So all of our kids were in the program. They thought that would really kind of let me know how did this program really shape the school um, and learners who maybe didn't necessarily choose that. And I really believe that written policies about inclusivity aren't enough if they're not realized through the lived experiences of the students for whom they are written. So that's what I wanted to explore. Yeah, it's uh, so important when we think about rigorous programs, are multilingual students excluded from engaging in these rigorous, rigorous programs? Or are they just, oh, no, 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 you're not smart enough. Just because you're developing yes. your English skills does not mean you're not smart. Exactly. Right. So let's talk about what was your, give us an overall uh, introduction of your study and, your back, and the background. Yeah, I'd love to. So dissertation is so much work. <laughs> and I think that often you put all this like blood, sweat and tears, they say, right, and into this project. And then sometimes maybe only your advisors read it. And so I really want my work to have a broader impact. And so I love just to share about what I learned through this experience. Um, and I appreciate you giving me a platform to do so. Um, so the purpose of my study was to understand the lived experiences of middle school English learners in an IB MYP, so an International Baccalaureate Middle Years Program. Um, and as I tell you more about the study, too, we'll realize that it wasn't necessarily the MYP that resulted in some of the findings, right? So if you're listening and you're not familiar with IB or you don't work in an IB school, um, I think you'll really be able to apply some of the learning that I had to your own work. Um, now, I did use the term English learners in my study because I was looking at students who are eligible and receiving direct English language development services in the school. Um, and that's how we define those students in my state as English learners. I really prefer to use the term multilingual learners when possible um, because I think it just really positions multilingualism as the goal and not just English. And it really honors the diverse background of our students. Uh, but you might hear me using both terms as I, as I talk about this study. Um, I used a narrative research design. This was something that was fascinating to learn about and implement because narrative research positions stories as data. And it's becoming more prominent in educational research in particular because it recognizes both teaching and learning as complex in nature and it positions the stories of teachers and their students as essential in understanding that complexity. Narrative research also allows for the researcher to be a co-creator of narratives with the participants. And this was really a perfect approach for me because as an educator of multilingual learners, my own identity and my own narratives were going to show up in my work. And this kind of allowed for that flexibility. But ultimately I chose this approach because I wanted to center student voice in my work. And I really wanted to hear from the students that we say that we are serving. Um, so I collected data through in-depth interviews um, of six students in particular. Uh, and they came from a pretty wide variety of backgrounds for being a small number, um, from newcomers to students who could be classified as long-term English learners who had really been in these 
ELD program since starting school in kindergarten. Um, some were born here in the United States, others had immigrated, and they came from a variety of language backgrounds. I had speakers of Spanish, Arabic, Chaldean, Wolof, and French, um, and I did three interviews with each student. And I was curious about what their stories would reveal um, about two things in particular. So one, how the middle years program contributed to these students' conceptions of themselves. And then what beliefs did they hold about how this program recognized their academic, linguistic, and social backgrounds and needs? Tell us about your findings. So it was really fascinating to construct narratives from the stories that students told and to see patterns emerge in the data. I kind of wish I could go into more detail and like retell all the stories that they shared because I was just blown away at how thoughtful and reflective the students were. Um, but really what I found kind of boiled down to six major themes. Um, and so the first group kind of answers that question, how did this program, the International Baccalaureate Middle Years Program, um, contribute to the, the student's sense of self? And, and what I found was that there were particular aspects of the program. So in particular, the IB Learner Profile and its focus on international mindedness really contributed to a very strong learner identity in students. So they had this self-concept that they were learners, that school was a place for learning, and that they were there, their role was a learner above all things, which honestly is kind of amazing for middle school because you sort of think they're just like so caught up in all the social aspects. Um, they were really confident in their ability to succeed through perseverance. I asked one student, um, how would you describe yourself as a learner? And she like, without skipping a beat, she said, powerful. And man, I just thought that was amazing. Like, yeah, you are powerful. And I kind of wondered like, if we compared the way the students were describing themselves to how their teachers would describe them, would that match? Um, the students really used words from the IB Learner Profile to describe their traits. They said things like, I'm open-minded, I'm a thinker, I'm a risk taker. Um, and so this, this learner profile it seemed to really equip the students to tell their stories about education in a way that positioned them as kind of the heroes of their journey. Um, and their stories reflected agency over their learning. Secondly, they really demonstrated a high level of self-esteem. They viewed themselves as successful. They had this pervasive belief that they were capable of overcoming challenges through effort and hard work. And this was true for students for a student in particular who moved here a month ago with like no English. <laughs> and so that typically like research shows that a big life transition can really result in a sort of dip in your self-esteem. It didn't seem to be true for, for these students. They really felt empowered through this program um, to overcome challenges. They, they believed that they could do it. Um, and they, they said, you know, I have a quote written here. A student said, if you really want to do something, then like focus more on it and put your whole mind into it. You really just need to be open to learn new things and like participate. And so these quotes kind of echo, again, the IV Learner Profile, which states that we are resourceful and resilient in the face of challenge. Also kind of revealed itself through a very positive view of multilingualism for the students. They all had... Um, great things to say about being multilingual. One student said, I kind of feel better than everybody. 
she said it with like a little laugh. Um, and so she she really did feel empowered through this skill that she she had. Um, the third finding in that regard was that the social and ethnic identities of students were kind of just emerging um, through their middle school experience. They they really felt a need to fit in, and they mostly felt accepted by their peers. But they also, you know, would tell stories of maybe feeling judged and things like that, which I think is typical of the middle middle school experience. Um, they described themselves as open-minded and caring to their friends, which again echo the traits that we hear in the IB Learner Profile. Um, but they also viewed themselves as different due to their multilingual backgrounds. And this was true whether they were here in the United States attending American school since kindergarten or if they had just arrived. So they, they told stories about saying things like, well, you know, I'm different because I'm not from here. One student said that, I'm not from here, and she had no memories of being anywhere but here. So I actually want to come back to that point in a minute. Um, but my second question was about how did the student, what did the students believe about how they were supported in the IB MYP program? Um, and there was two major findings there. So one, they, they felt strongly that they were supported um, and that they could be successful in this program. And it was mainly through the impact of their individual teachers. And then also kind of through this international mindedness focus of the program. So they, they spoke of their teachers a lot and they talked about there are some themes that kind of came up that they felt both challenged and supported by their teachers. So we know that really mirrors the research that we know about best practices that we maintain this high level of challenge and high level of support for our students from multilingual backgrounds. Um, and they told me specific things that were helpful for them, things like just giving me more time to do my assignments or, you know, letting me translate when I when I don't understand the directions. Like Google Translate is such a great tool for newcomers. Um, and something that came up a lot was the teacher's response to students' questions. So they would tell me, like, I'm not afraid to ask questions. They don't ever get mad if I if I ask the student, the teacher to explain it again. And nobody Nobody thinks you're stupid if you ask questions. So that was really, really important to them that they were able to ask questions and not feel like embarrassed to do so. They talked about learning activities. So they loved um, the hands-on activities that were provided to them. They talked about having the support of a group or a peer that that was really helpful for them to complete their work. One student said, it's like fun to work with partners or your friends and like think about things because if I don't get something, they'd probably understand it more um, than I do and help me learn it better. So I thought that was really a good way to capture the, the power that just providing peer support can be. Um, and then finally, the students really felt a high level of social and emotional support from their teachers. Um, and they seem to know like the school's resources for accessing those supports. And that was important, even if they, they it wasn't something they had used. They said, we know we can get help anytime we need it. You can always just call the school and help. You can go see a counselor. You can email the teachers. And so having those systems in place for support was really important for these students to feel like their needs were met. Um, and then that international mindedness component of the IB it did influence beliefs about support and acceptance. So the students did perceive themselves as kind of different from their peers, um, but they believed that that 
international mindedness component of the IB was really reflected um, through acceptance. So they felt like they were accepted by, by their peers for the most part. They thought that other students and their teachers were interested in hearing their stories and backgrounds. Um, and they really appreciated the ability to be able to explore and discuss complex social issues in their classrooms. So that kind of went along with that international mindedness component to me. One student talked about um, like being able to talk about LGBTQ issues in her classroom, that that was something that she hadn't experienced in her school previously. And she thought it was really important to be able to just talk about it. She's like, we talk about like grown up things in class and, and it's okay. Nobody says you're too young for that. So some students also believed that the intercultural understanding aspect of their learning experience could be strengthened. And they specifically said that the school could provide more opportunities for students to talk about where they came from and how they live at home. So that kind of brings me back to this um, theme that came up that students really didn't see themselves as part of the dominant culture. And this last finding kind of emerged through exploring the data through link crit theory. So this is a theoretical framework that examines how power is associated with linguistic resources and how that shapes experiences and identities. So even though the International Baccalaureate Organization states that it seeks to develop this deep level of interconnectedness, this aspect of the program didn't overcome students' view of themselves as different and their home culture as separate from school. And this was true for all of the participants, um, regardless of how long they had been attending American schools. The students also seem to have adopted a dominant view um, of this cultural view of intelligence and success. Um, they talked a lot of, when they defined success, talked about like getting a good job, getting good grades, things like that. And although they were able to attach some extrinsic value to their multilingualism, they really didn't at least articulate a sense of intrinsic value for their cultures and languages. So they said things like, oh, yeah, my language helps me help other people or my language will help me get a good job one day. But there wasn't the sense of like, it's just a good thing to be multilingualism or that it helps me connect to my culture. Things like that didn't show up in their stories. So although the experience of the students was largely positive, um, the IBMYP program really was not a catalyst to overcome these implicit and explicit messages that students were receiving that kind of perpetuate meritocracy and traditional definitions of intelligence and success. Their identities were really shaped in terms of viewing English as the language of power and success. And their cultures and languages were something that were largely left at home when they came to school. So in this regard, I think we need to do better. So what are your recommendations for the IB organization itself? But there are a few things that I would recommend that I think could help. Um, so one, I would recommend that the International Baccalaureate Organization adopt a translanguaging pedagogy. Um, so in some of the, the documents and things that I went through from IB, there was um, kind of a focus on this outdated view of bilingualism, that the goal is this balanced bilingualism, that that even really exists is kind of questionable at this point, right? Like we know today and, and researchers have learned that multilingual people have a very complex linguistic repertoire and it's used flexibly in their brains and people are multilingual 
whether or not they have an equal level of proficiency in, in both or multiple languages and that we use language as flexibly in different situations for different purposes. Um, so I think that adopting this view would really um, encourage students to use their entire linguistic repertoires to make meaning. Um, and even monolingual teachers can promote translanguaging in their classrooms by encouraging the use of multiple languages. Um, so it's not in like the IB program, it's not just like, oh, I have my language A and I'm learning language B. And once I know language B and I can take my exam, then, then I'm bilingual, but really like encouraging multilingualism across the curriculum. Um, second, I think it would be beneficial for the IB to start tracking the enrollment and outcomes for English learners in their programs. That's not something that they do currently. Um, and this would allow for them to evaluate their commitment to expanding participation of historically marginalized students and back that up with data. Um, and this could also provide evidence to schools who are maybe interested in implementing an IB program um, that this program is good for diverse students. Um, and finally, I think it would be very helpful for the IB to provide teachers with specific training to meet the needs of multilingual students. Um, IB is associated with a really strong system of professional learning. Like oftentimes IB teachers are going to conferences and workshops and learning more about the program itself. Um, and I think an emphasis on research-based practices for multilingual learners, because again, the IB acknowledges that most of its students come from these complex language backgrounds, um, that that would really empower teachers to, um, that would really empower teachers to better meet the needs of the students in their classrooms um, and, and feel like they could foster that sense of agency over learning as well as pride in cultural and multilingual backgrounds. And it would position the IB as a provider of high quality provision. So you've talked about what are your recommendations for the IB. Let's talk about schools and then teachers. Absolutely. So at the school level, um, I made several recommendations kind of based on the data that could be implemented whether or not you work in an IB program. Um, so one would be to develop common language to describe students as learners and then communicate these attributes across the curriculum. So this recommendation really stemmed from the impact of the IB learner profile on the students. And it was interesting because when I asked these students, like, what do you know about IB or tell me about the MYP at your school? They like, didn't really know <laughs> what that meant. Like they kind of, oh yeah, I've heard we're an IB school. I, but I don't really know, you know, so it was like unclear to them. But then the language of the IB really started to show up in the stories that they told. And so that's what really helped me realize like this program is having an impact on these students. Um, and particularly, particularly that language of the, of the IB learner profile kept coming up again and again. So that in particular, and again, the IB learner profile is just this list of words that describes learners. And so I think that schools could develop their own learner profile, whether or not they're an IB school, um, and, and really emphasize these words like we are inquirers, we are risk takers. What does it mean to be a learner in this school? And that really allowed the students in my study to have agency over their learning and then to see themselves at the center of their learning experience. Um, secondly, I think it's important to establish clear messaging to students about resources for social and emotional support. Um, and so, and then also to make sure that students from all backgrounds understand how to access that. So, so as I stated, that was really important for the students in this study. 
um, that kind of contributed to their sense of belonging and support just to know the teachers are there for me and here's how I access support if I need it. Um, and you can do that at the classroom level too, right? Like make sure students know how to ask for help, where to go, what they can do. Um, next, I would recommend providing students with ample opportunities to share about their diverse experiences and to discuss complex social issues. Um, so the participants in my study expressed a desire to discuss issues related to culture, race, sexuality, freely at school. Um, and they really believed that this would lead to acceptance and inclusion. So the students did feel, for the most part, very accepted. But when they told stories of maybe not feeling as accepted, they said, you know, if I, if I had more of a chance to share about where I came from, I think that that would help. So I think we really need to listen to our students when they give us advice like this, right? Like, give us more opportunities to talk about our background. Okay, we can do that. Um, finally, it's really powerful to collect this type of data to ask students to share their stories and then to really sit down and analyze what they said. And so I think this could really become part of program evaluation for a school, is having interviews with students and getting their voices um, Student experience is really a powerful source of data that's often overlooked when we're looking at the impact of our programs. Let's move on to teachers then. What can teachers do? So the participants in the study named specific strategies that were helpful for them as multilingual learners. So I think we need to do more of those things. They were things like giving them extra time providing study guides in advance, using translation tools. These all led to increased feelings of support for English learners. I think it's also important for teachers to explicitly coach students in how to ask for help and praise students when they ask questions and warmly provide additional instruction when students ask. This was a theme that came up again and again in the participants' stories that they felt comfortable asking for help, that their teachers were eager to give extra support and feedback, um, and that it was part of the culture of the classroom to ask questions. So that's something little that we maybe don't always think about, but it clearly was really important to these students. And finally, when we increase opportunities for hands-on learning and collaboration, we increase engagement and confidence for our multilingual students. I think that's something that we know, but the students really echoed what we know about best practices and their real stories. They said that these experiences, being able to do experiments and real world problems and work in groups, that that really helped them to feel more supported, confident, and engaged in their learning. The, the biggest thing that came out of the data was this impact of individual teachers. And so that tells me that we don't need an IB program to do this. But there were certain aspects, like I said, language of the IB that kind of came up as students were describing their experiences. And I think it's this emphasis, this emphasis on placing the student at their center of, of learning, um, training teachers to make these cross-disciplinary connections, um, using these learner attributes through the learner profile to really foster a sense of agency over learning. Those were the pieces of the MYP that kind of came up in the data. But again, I don't think that you need to have an NYP program to implement those things. And most good teachers are doing those things in their classrooms anyway. So this kind of strengthens what we know. 
So you're saying there's like an almost SEL component, social emotional learning component to the uh, IB that says, oh, we are, for example, the IB learner profile, we want you to be these things as an IB learner. And then they reflect it in their language and they see it themselves. You also said that the curriculum, like, it's conceptual based. And so we're trying to make connections between social studies and science and social studies and design and, and all these connections here. Because the IB teaches international mindedness, the opportunity to bring students' cultures in uh, and not just focus on uh, the US, for example, or if it's based in, let's say that there's an IB program school in France, it's not just French culture that's being represented, yeah. where students can really bring their cultures to the learning as well. So what can we do to overcome some of the cultural things of like uh, linguist imperialism where English is the main language? Uh, what can we do about that? Yeah. That's a challenge, um, but I do think there's things that we can do. I think when the student said, give us more opportunities to talk about our backgrounds, to talk about our cultures and our languages. And I think that that really makes our diverse backgrounds more evident in the classroom, like students who maybe are from the dominant culture see just kids who aren't like me. And they're not just like, oh, there's kids not like me somewhere else in the world. They're like right here next to me in my classroom. Um, and then coming back to that idea of translanguaging, if we can really promote a view of language in our classrooms that is flexible, where we recognize the multilingual backgrounds of students, um, maybe of their teachers as well, um, and we celebrate when we use language in interesting and creative ways. Well, Dr. Katniss, this brings us to the end of our podcast. Let's go through traffic light teaching, which is red light, yellow light, and green light. Red light is something you ask teachers to stop doing, yellow light, continue doing, and green light, start doing, in terms of working with multilingual students. One thing I would encourage teachers to stop doing is having English only policies in their classroom. One thing I would encourage teachers to continue doing is to provide this warm environment that enables students to take risks and ask questions um, and feel part of a connected learning, cultural learning in their classrooms. And one thing that I would encourage teachers to start doing is to ask their students about their experiences in their classrooms um, and to really think critically about the stories that they tell and what that means for our instruction. Dr. Katnit, thank you again for being on the podcast. And we hope to uh, possibly this would be a book for you to write about or to extend your uh, postdoctorate work. Wishing you all the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. 